Welcome to 15 Minutes on the Way, Season 5, The Kings, the human ones. If you're a first-time listener, you really owe it to yourself to start at the beginning. You can find Episode 1 easily at 15minutesontheway.com. Otherwise, brace yourself for a podcast in God's voice telling His side of your story. Well, you can be certain that if news of David's kingship over the whole Hebrew enchilada has reached Hiram way up north in Tyre, as it did in the last episode, the Philistines have heard about it too. Well, they figure he'll be coming after them sooner or later and decide the best defense is a good offense, and they gather to attack David. Besides, Times of political transition are generally moments of vulnerability in any nation. And here's another time you'll roll your eyes and get tired of my saying it, because instead of doing the natural thing, whipping up an army to head after the Philistine forces, David asks me first whether that's what I want him to do. Of course, I say, yes, I'll be with you all the way. David and his forces make such quick work of the Philistines that the trounced neighbors scurry away without taking the time to retrieve their precious portable idols, brought supposedly to bring them victory. Feel free to go back over previous episodes for a refresher on my feelings about idols. David and his men take them and burn them. Now that's what I'm talking about uh, in 2 Samuel 5.21. Well, the Philistines regroup for another attack, and you can guess what David does. Yep, asks me what to do, which is a good thing, because this time he gets a, no, don't just run out there and attack them like you did last time. Instead of a traditional head-on full frontal attack, move around to behind them. When you hear my armies marching above you in the treetops, that's your signal. David follows my instructions. He wins. Big surprise. Triple lesson here. You're not always going to hear what you expect from me, and it's obviously still best to listen and obey. And there will be times when I'm not just empowering you in the battle. I'm battling for you myself. Remember Jericho? Battling before you even show up before you step in, and then fighting beside you in the battle, even after you think the battle is over. David's next move is to move me. Well, of course not me, but my ark. Uh, we're in chapter 6 of Second Samuel now. My ark has been languishing in obscurity over where it got left after the fiasco of trying to use it as a good luck charm in battle and the ensuing fallout. The family of good Abinadab have been caring for my ark since then. They're out in the wooded hills in a town known as either Kiriath-Jerim, city of woods, the Canaanites' name for it, or baal judah lord of Judah. Though it seems to be pointed at my local rival, this is the town's new name given by my children, obviously from the Judah tribe, to honor me and my presence there. Abinadab happens to have had the highest ground and the noblest heart in town. Now it's his grandsons that are driving my ark to Jerusalem in a brand new cart. It simply wouldn't do 
for my sacred vessel to be moved in a wagon with a bed stained with manure. It's a big day. However, since it's been out of the public eye for a good couple of decades, folks have forgotten the required strict care of my ark and all things associated with me. The priests who serve in close proximity to my ark in acts of worship also go through purifying rituals beforehand. In this particular instance, the do-not-touch restriction gets violated. You'll remember my ark is fashioned with loops for poles to slide through so that it can be lifted and carried without being touched. The cart gets jostled, though, and a well-meaning fellow by the name of Uzzah reaches out to steady my ark with his hand, and you know the rest. It's not like I enjoy striking people like Uzzah down. It comes down to this, our recurrent theme. Either I am holy, or I am not. Well, I am. So thus, my ark. Our contact with you is not only limited because of my holiness, but for the time being is impossible because of my holiness. We'll just banging away with our point that moving on from this standoff and being together with you again is the whole reason behind the Abra plan. Poor Uzzah isn't thinking about these things. He just doesn't want my ark to tip off the cart. I can appreciate that, but at the same time, though he means well, this also betrays a lack of faith that I am able to take care of myself. If I can part the seas, I can keep my ark on a cart. Why does my ark suddenly reappear at this point anyhow? I mean, it hasn't even been mentioned for quite a while. Well, David's actually got me on his radar pretty much all the time, whereas his predecessor only checked in with me when he'd run out of all his other options. Options that had started with himself and ended with me, which I hope you see by now is opposite the optimal living sequence of always starting with me, not yourself. As a result of David's regard for me, it's clear he's not going to use my ark as some giant gilded rabbit's foot in battle like that time before that triggered the dominoes that pushed this most sacred of objects into obscurity for this good long while. In full disclosure, though, there is a bit of delay in the triumphal re-entry of my ark into the life of Israel. David is admittedly a little freaked out by the crispy remains of Uzzah and isn't sure he wants such a lightning rod so close to home in Jerusalem. He leaves the ark at the nearby home of Levite and fellow lyre player, as it turns out, Obed-Edom, for three months. He's a kind fellow who treats my ark with the honor and respect it deserves. I return the favor, and those are the best months of his and his family's lives as I pour out blessings over them all. David's a quick learner and gets the message. There's no need to fear me or my ark if you're honoring me and maintaining my holiness protocol. Walking in my way is going to yield blessing both short and long term. So after the three months' rest stop with the Edoms, David returns to move my ark to Jerusalem. Uzzah taught a precious lesson with his life, and not only does no one touch my ark in transit this time, David has the sense to call in the professionals. You can look at First Chronicles 15 for the full account. 
he activates the Levite reserves. It's been a while, but they're the ones who were long ago charged with the care and transport of my ark, the tabernacle, and all my fancy accessories. David also recognizes the unique nature of this moment and appoints singers and instrumentalists to herald my entrance and presence. Uh, that's First Chronicles 15, 16 and following. Take special note of my buddy Cananiah in verse 22 and why he gets the job. My own marching band of harps, lyres, cymbals, trumpets, and singers. Everything's set for the big parade, and we set out. Levites have got my ark up on their shoulder poles this time, so there'll be no ox-stumbling incidents. David practically paves the road to Jerusalem with sacrifices before me, both to celebrate my symbolic return to the heart of the people and to make sure everything between Obed-Edom's place and my new digs in Jerusalem are ceremonially cleansed. So caught up is David in the singular beauty and importance of it all that he dances ahead of my ark with all his might. The people marvel at the small yet jaw-dropping parade as the two kings of Israel, divine and human, make their way along the road to Jerusalem. Upon arrival in the recently capitalized city, my ark is placed within a new tabernacle that David has had pitched for it, and a great party ensues, with even more sacrifices heaped up before me. The kind of sacrifice where the meat isn't all burned up, but rather shared amongst the sacrificers. Call it sacred catering on this occasion, because everybody gets a steak or slab of ribs, a loaf of bread, a cake of raisins for dessert, and coleslaw on the side. Not the creamy kind. There's a lot that happens here, obviously. David's already made Jerusalem the capital of the nation in a political sense. Now, with this move of my worship shifted to the same locale, Jerusalem's importance is theologically consolidated too, and the price of real estate in the former town of Jebus just went up. Not many places are available on the planet with the nation's king and the universe's creator as your next-door neighbors. You've already gotten to know me better than you think by now. You know that there's deeper meaning underlying everything. Not almost everything, but everything. This parade-warranting event certainly qualifies for further inspection. Kudos to David, first of all. This really and truly is a guy after my own heart, I tell you. He's a shrewd military man and politician, but in this instance you can see, or at least you're about to, that he's using those arenas in order to foster my relationship with my people. That's what it's all about. All of it. It hasn't been very long at all, as measured by the owner's manual, that David was made king of all of Israel's tribes. His first shrewd move as king was to establish, read Capture, a centrally located politically neutral town as his new capital. We've gone over that. What, then, is his next official act? To which need or item does his focus go next? Infrastructure? Political alliances within the tribes? The Philistines? Yes, he did just fight them, but that's because they attacked at what they thought would be a moment of weakness on his part. 
There are all kinds of things a king could be doing at this point, but what does Dave do? Brings my ark to Jerusalem. I didn't make him do it. He chose to bring me back on his own, and the lights have turned on, and you know I am talking about you again. Or at least now you do. You know full well whether and how much this sequence with my ark parallels your own life with me. You know if I've been languishing in a sideways metaphorical town because you let something interrupt our journey together. Learn from the new king. As soon as there was a place to which my ark could be safely brought, David chose to bring me back. You can too. Pardon the reminder, but I am compelled to say that throughout this project, my ark is obviously symbolizing me, and you get that I am everywhere now and don't need to be seen as captured in a golden chest like some kind of jumbo genie in a bottle. So, there is that setback of Uzzah's demise, but you can guess there's something for you in that as well. You're still dealing with me here. I am still who I am, the holy, holy, infinitely powerful creator of all things, creator even of those who don't believe I am, bless them. Yes, I am loving. I wouldn't be doing this if I weren't. But I am also dangerous, friend. That danger stems from the combination of my holiness, which isn't going anywhere, with basically anything else that is not holy, whether human or spirit. As I said a few moments ago, this cuts to the core of the whole plan and what we are working towards then and now. You're not quite ready for all the now yet, so all I'm going to say here is, remember with whom you are dealing. I am still me. And I am with you on the way. Thanks for listening. We hope this episode has been a blessing to you. If you'd like to support what we do, give us a review on iTunes or on Facebook. Then share this podcast with your friends. There's a link to the first episode right under today's podcast on our website, 15minutesontheway.com. You can find a link to our Patreon page there as well. We're sponsored by the Oak Haven Church in the Barn in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Oleksandr Zadoyani writes our theme music at smartmediamusic.com. Kenny Eicher designs our website graphics, kennyeicherart.com. We hope today's podcast has reminded you that you, friend, are part of an epic story that is still unfolding today. So keep walking on the way. And until next time, be good to yourself.